But I'm going to start my message. And this is continuing the series of Rubber Meets the Road. This is actually the fifth week. Isn't that crazy? Fifth week. And there's so much happening in the world, isn't there? If you, oh, sometimes I don't like watching the news and sometimes I do just to try and keep up with some of the rubbish that's happening. But there's so much happening. And it can almost be, oh, I don't know, deflating. Look at China and the uprise that's happening over there with communism. and You can marry it back into to what happened to the Annamana Square uh, where the youth were uprising mainly in the universities. Then you've got Ukraine and Russia and then you've got the what's, what's potentially happening in the US with the economy over there and then we're not spared from anything because we have phenomenal leadership that wants to put us in a position that's going to be um, detrimental to our, our economics for the next decade. And it just seems like all over the world there's, there's things that are happening that are just crazy. And it can be easy to get fixated on those sort of things and sort of lose sort of hope. Like, oh, what's going to happen? And that's why it's important, that, you know, like that last song, to remembrance. It's about remembrance. Remember what he did for us. You know, he doesn't take us so far and then drops us and goes, you're on your own now. He walks through the whole process with us. He walks through what is called life with us. He doesn't leave us nor betrays us nor forsakes us. And it's important that we learn to behave or not behave, but so much act in certain ways. Character is when you do, sorry, what you do and how you live become one. And it's important that we as Christians, as believers, as disciples of Jesus, have character. Because character will set, stand the test of time. But character links up with how we prioritize things what's important to our lives the level of importance we place on life and the things in our life will determine how we live out our lives if you want to know what people value look at where they spend their money look at what they do with their time and if you don't like the way your life is unfolding change it but you don't understand yeah but you don't understand how much power you have and the ability to change you know, the definition of a stupidity, and I love this one, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Which means if you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and follow the same routine through your whole day and then you expect to do something different or something else to happen, that's the definition of stupidity. If we fail to plan or prepare, we plan or prepare to fail. And I encourage people to do a very simple thing in life to have a daily devotional life. To have a daily time with God. That's setting the start of our days. Now, some people are night hours, so have it at night time then. Whatever works for you. But have a daily devotional time with God where you set a period of time aside where it's you and God. Because it, what it actually does is it's preparation for the day ahead. I know, like I know, when something happens in my life before I've had my daily devotional time, my fuse is shorter. I have recognized it. I know that if I don't put my daily devotional time in place, I am not prepared for what is coming. And it's my preparation for what I will face in that day. 
See, I need a charger. Right? Not an Apple charger. I don't need to plug myself in. But I need God to charge me. I need God to fill me. I need God's anointing on my life. I need everything that God has for me before I tackle it. I need God's Spirit to be upon me before I face a difficult situation. It's so much harder to face financial difficulties when you haven't spent time in the Word or you haven't spent time with God and God brings hope upon your life and you're facing it blind. But preparation is the key. And that's why I encourage people to have a daily devotional time, have it in the morning or have it the night before, whatever works for you. It doesn't have to be an hour long. It doesn't have to be two hours. It doesn't have to be five hours. It can be five to ten minutes. But start something. Imagine if God could give you the ability to handle everything that was going to happen in your day in that short amount of time. Imagine if you could get a download of all the answers in five minutes, but you had to spend time with him. That's a crazy thought, really. It's all right. But if you have your Bibles, open them up. Because we're going to go to Mark chapter 6, 33 to 52. And this is the passage we've been reading for the past five weeks. And we have another week to go, and then we start moving to a little bit of Christmas, and then I'll start a new series. But we're going to quickly read through it. It says, The people saw them going, and when many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like, first message was sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and is already quite late. Send them away so they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, Second message, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarios on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to him, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up towards heaven. And he blessed, the third message, broke, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and divided up two fish among them all and they all sat and were satisfied and they picked up the twelve full baskets of broken fish and also of broken pieces and also the fish and there were five thousand men who ate the flows and immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethesda and while he himself was sending the crowd away after bidding them farewell he left for the mountain to pray and when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he instead intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And, he cried, and they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the lows but their hearts were hardened. Miracles won't change your heart. You could witness the most amazing miracle right before your eyes but it won't change your heart. It won't change your mindset. It won't change anything. You can get excited, pumped up for a while but then you'll lose your fire. 
What changes hearts and minds is the boring, mundane process that is living every day rounded in a group, good group of faith. It's reading the Word. It's praying. It's seeking God. It's worshipping. That's what changes your heart. These disciples encountered two phenomenal miracles. One, Jesus fed 5,000 men, and if you add the women and the children, probably anywhere between fifteen to 20,000 people, with five loaves of bread and two fish. You do the math. Second miracle, Jesus walks on water. The actual story in Matthew, Peter walks on water with him. They witnessed two of the most phenomenal miracles, but they were not changed. And if you're expecting something to change you, other than the monotonous, simple discipline of life, you're mistaken. Miracles will not change your heart. We've had miracles before. We've seen signs and wonders, and it did not change people. It is the mundane, the process, the people, oh, meh, I'll read my Bible tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. That will actually change your heart. It's the constant process that actually begins to change you. It's putting in the hard yards of reading your Bible, praying, seeking God, and having a relationship that actually changes this. Can you imagine? I just want to imagine anyone who's married, right? If you're not married, pre-married, after married, whatever position you're in. Can you imagine if you never talk to your spouse? Never. Right? If you imagine if I never talked to Mel, I never listened to her, I never learned anything about her. I only ever put my needs above her needs. Me was more important than her. Then what do you think is going to happen when uh, I want some intimate time? I can tell you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because there's no connection. It's the same thing that happens with us when we don't put in the time with God. We don't spend time with Him. We don't spend time in His Word. We don't spend lear- time learning about Him. We don't spend time talking about it, talking to Him or listening to Him. And then we expect something from Him. We expect Him to move in our behalf. We expect Him to change our hearts, change people's lives, and we have done nothing to move towards Him. Because this is the difference between relationship and religion. Religion is all about demanding things. Rules and regulations both sided. Relationship is not. It's connection. And the depth of my relationship with God will determine how much He can move in my life. If you need Him to move, if you need miracles, if you need something to happen, get to know Him. The disciples witnessed firsthand the impossible. The impossible. But the seed of what Jesus did never took root. Why? What determines the seed to grow in our lives? What determines the seed to grow? Like, if you've ever planted a seed in a garden, right? I think Woolies did those things where you got a little seed pot and sand and dirt and whatever else, and they encourage people to grow plants, right? But if you never put the seed in good ground, it will never take root. If you saw during this week, Victoria has got this stellar tomato thing, vine plant thing that she's, I saw, I was sitting there looking at she's got string coming up from this thing. This thing is epic, right? So if you need cherry tomatoes, you can go to Victoria. Luke and Lauren have this amazing one that just happened when they threw a tomato, I think. They brought in 
300 kilo, uh, a couple of kilos of tomatoes that were available last week. But when you plant a seed in the soil, you want it to be in good soil, right? It's like taking some seed and throwing it on the rocks and going, why can't you grow? The condition of the soil will actually determine its growth. There were two miracles that took place. And there was a possible third. There was feeding of 5,000. There was Jesus walking on the water. And the third one was a seed planted in their heart. But the last verse of that passage of Scripture says, For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Can you imagine? You're hanging out with Jesus. And he performs some of the craziest miracles you've ever seen. Like things you, you cannot even explain. That's why they're miracles, right? They're phenomenal miracles. They're just mind-blowing. And you are surrounded them every single day of your life and it never changes you. Can you imagine that going three and a half years and not making any difference? The disciples' hearts were hardened and they missed they missed the revelation. They missed the truth that was Jesus trying to reveal to them. They missed it. It's the revelation, the revealed truth that is the greatest of everything that can happen in that process. Everything that can happen in our lives, the revelation is the most important. See, we too can miss what God wants to give us simply because we're not in a place to receive it. Our hearts are not in the right place to receive it. Because positioning, positioning is the key to receiving from God. Positioning is the key to receiving. Can you imagine if I told you, and I was legit, I even showed you, I got a million bucks in cash, right? Australian tenders, all legit, all legal tenders, right? I had it in this box. I said this, you have to go to this place at this point in time. And, and the million bucks will be there and it's all yours. No questions asked. The ATA will not chase you down. It's tax-free. And you're like, sweet. This is legit. I even know that address. You don't bother looking it up. You don't bother doing any research. You don't bother looking in your GPS. You don't look, look at these things. Now, kids, there was once a day these things called Refidex. Okay? And there was a whole bunch of maps. This is before GPS. This is when we learned to drive, looking at a Refidex with one hand, having a drink, and driving all at the same time. But can you imagine if you never looked at it? You never, you never even bothered, oh yeah, I know that place. I'll be fine. But because you hadn't looked at it before, because you, you, you didn't look at the map, you didn't put it in the GPS, you got lost. And by the time you actually turn up, it's past the time. And you've missed out. Because that's exactly what happens to us on a regular basis. We can miss the positioning of what God wants to give us simply because we haven't prepared, we haven't looked. We haven't sought. The Bible, our prayer, our devotional life is a map that positions us in that correct position. 
It positions our minds, our spirit to be a place to receive what God has for us. But we also need the Holy Spirit to work in us. Because that was what was separating us between the disciples. They didn't have the Holy Spirit working in them because the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet because Jesus was still on the scene. And the Holy Spirit's job is to bring us into all truth, bring us into that position, right? He's the one that convicts us. He's the one that keeps reminding us, hey, there's something here. It's almost like a Groundhog Day when you know you've done something wrong because it keeps playing in your mind. Oh, it's frustrating. Or when God speaks, it's on constant replay until you deny it or follow it. And we need to be in a position to actually receive it. It's like kicking a football between two people or throwing a frisbee, if you know what they are, or a tennis ball. You don't stand in one place and expect your friend or the other person to throw that ball perfectly in your hand. You have to move to catch. You have to move to receive it. It's that repositioning of you that actually gives you the ability to catch if you're able to catch. I mean, we want a million dollars over a million dollar idea. We want someone to give a million dollars rather than What's an idea that I can put in place to create a million dollars? When God wants to give you an idea to create a million dollars, are you in position to actually receive that? Or we just go, no, I just want a million bucks. It's so much easier. And the reason why you need to understand why God wants to give you a million dollar idea over a million dollars it's because what happens in the process of you putting that million dollar idea into program, into process, is the journey and the revelation that is gained during the process and the lessons learned. Giving you a million dollars isn't going to change the world. It'll change your life for about a few weeks. And then when the money's gone, nothing. We want a lotto win over an idea. And the truth is, if we're too busy, if we're too busy to implement an idea, too busy to seek God, too busy to prepare for things like that, then we're simply just too busy. But the disciples, they missed their opportunity. How many opportunities do we miss because our hearts are hardened and not in position to receive? Now that's a scary thought. When you really think about it, how many things we might have missed because we weren't in the right position, that is a scary thought. I hope, I hope to God that when we get into that and get into eternity, there's not going to be a screen that shows us or a list that shows us all the things we missed because that will just simply be heartbreaking. How many times does God work in our lives and those around us and we miss it because we're not simply looking for it? And the truth is, it's probably more than we want to admit. I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I, I can't see God moving. I'm like, I can. I just see him in your life. Look how much you've changed. Look how much you've grown. Look how much you've moved and matured in him. Look at the change. But we can miss things because we're not looking for it. 
We can miss things because we're not in the Word enough, because we're not being positioned to receive what He has for us. We're not got our eyes open to see, or we dismiss things too quickly. Because what God wants to do through you requires Him to draw it out of you. The truth is, it's already in you. It's never handed to you, it's drawn out of you. When God created you, He put everything in you. And over the time of life, sometimes we gain extra stuff that we don't actually need. And the process of God drawing it out of us is first chipping off the garbage. When they asked Michelangelo, who sculpted David, the famous David sculpture in, in marble, he said, how did you come up with that? And he said, it was already there. I just had to remove the pieces that were not there. It's an interesting thought when you start looking at the sculpture of David. That David, his sculpture was already in the marble. It was just that he had to remove the pieces that were not. It's the preparation that enables us to receive. You prepare, you prepare the soil to receive the seed. You prepare the soil to receive the plant. You prepare the athlete to win the race. Have you ever noticed the difference between an Olympic athlete and one of those high-paying sports stars? The skill is never the issue. The character is. You pay a, a teenager, a 20-year-old, $20 million, because that's what happens on draft day. Some of those kids who are 20, 21, they come out of college where they've been given everything. Because under the guidelines, they're not actually being allowed to be paid to play. They're just given everything they need. And they come out of that and they go into the NFL draft and the first thing they do is they get drafted. And if you're drafted in the first round, you automatically get a millionaire. Do you know that? You're automatically a millionaire. Someone can be paid 8 to $10 million and they've never played a game of NFL. And then you read all the stuff that happens afterwards. But if you watch the Olympics, that's when you see the Olympic stars or the Olympic athletes who are amateurs, which means they don't get paid to play their sport. And you read of the stories of where somebody tripped over and another athlete stopped their race to pick them up and walk them to the end. They trained for four years for one race. I had a friend of mine. His brother was a, an up-and-coming swimming star if you know a swimmer you know how much dedication they put in right? they get up early they swim they go to school then they swim they eat, go to bed, get up and swim and they had this ability to work out when they'll reach their peak and he was a good swimmer I thought he was a good swimmer and he was told it was going to be later on in life he was going to be around the 28-30 mark and he was like 16 And he quit. It was too long. But in that process of that time, was going to develop in him the character to sustain the level that he was going to reach. It's the preparation of the soil to receive the seed. It's turning the soil 
It's fertilizing the soil, watering the soil to receive the seed that will determine the growth, the preparation. You want really good growth in your seed? Make sure that soil is the best you can get. And it's the duration of the process that actually builds the character. Oak, not the drink. Oak is a beautiful timber. It's a very expensive timber because it takes a hundred years to harvest. means if you put an oak seed in the ground, it'll be a hundred years before you can cut that tree down. hundred years. There are some trees that will take ten years to grow, five years to grow. Some other trees will take a year. Some trees take time to mature. All trees are different. But if you want or you value something, it'll take time. The height or the level of your faith will be determined not by which church you attend, not by who's your pastor, not by any other factors, but the level of preparation you undergo. It's got nothing to do with being perfect. It's got nothing to do with what job you have or what house you live or what car you drive. It's got nothing to do with who your daddy is. Oh, besides him. And it's got everything to do with whether or not you're prepared to pay the price. It's the doing. And it starts with a little. It can start with five minutes. How much time you put in your relationship with God, how much time you prepare for today will determine your growth. How much time did you prepare for today? How much time did you prepare to be ready for worship? How much time did we prepare to read the Word, to to hear and receive the Word? What does our week look like? Do we make the time to prepare? If you're too busy to spend time with God, He isn't your priority. Can you imagine if I turned up to preach, I never opened the Bible. I never read it before. I didn't do any study. I didn't read any other books. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't time praying. I woke up 10 10 minutes before I had to be here I never prayed, I never sought God. How good would that sermon be? How long is it going to be before you leave the church? Simply because the pastor doesn't seek God. What about if you needed surgery? You want the doctor that at the very least has gone to medical school, right? You want the doctor, at the very least, has studied the operation, has prepared for it, knows what they're doing. Or you can have me. Who, in truth, that if I make that incision, will probably faint. I don't do blood very well. It's, I don't know. They're your options. When I went for my op, Ops. And we saw doctors, surgeons. I saw two neuros. I saw top orthopedics. We traveled. It cost us money to get different opinions. I didn't look for a surgeon who made me feel special. You're wonderful, Pete. 
That shirt really goes with your eyes. In fact, when we saw a couple of surgeons, Mel made the comment, they do not have very good bedside manner. But I don't want the guy who's going to be friends with me. I want the guy who knew what he was doing, who spent the time in the books. So when he makes the cut, or cuts, he's going to do the best job he can. It's in the preparation. The reason why top surgeons do not have bedside manner is because they don't spend time with people. They spend time in the operating room and in the study halls and the study rooms and the prep rooms because of what they need to do. I mean, you look at church attendance. It's no longer as important as it once was. I can remember going to church when I was a little tacker. And we'd have to turn up half an hour to an hour early before the start service started. And we would be going twice on a Sunday. And our church was 45 minutes away from where we lived. But we were there. And we didn't miss a Sunday. We'd turn up during the week when there was a special meeting. Church was important. Why? Because it was preparation. It was preparation for what the week was going to hold. It's preparation for what God wanted to say to us. But today, everything else seems to be more important. I know it's hard. Society puts everything on a Sunday. Trust me, I know it's hard. It frustrates me. Once a year, my wife and daughter are here in church. Why? Because of a stupid dance concert. It frustrates me. And every year they say, oh, this will be the last year, this will be the last year. Nah. By the time you find out you're so heavily invested, what do I do? So my wife takes a day off as one of her days off from church. And my daughter, bless her heart, last Sunday she had rehearsals on Sunday. That's why she wasn't here last Sunday. But she wanted to go to church. So when she went to, to uh, our main campus on Sunday night. And Mel took her. It just depends on what are your priorities. But it's understanding why we have priorities. Why we put these things in place. But also understanding what is preparation for us. A famous footwear, com footwear company had this slogan. And you'll know it. It's so easy. It just it puts all excuses aside, which really goes with their whole motra, um, mantra. Just do it. Get up in the morning and just do it. Stop making excuses. Because we make excuses for things that we really don't want to do. When really what we need to do is ask ourselves why we don't really want to do it. Gosh, there's sometimes I don't want to get up. There's sometimes I don't want to get up and read the Bible. There's sometimes I don't want to pray. You don't become a pastor and then everything's so glorious. Let's be real. I'm a human being as well. There's some days that I wake up in the morning on Sunday. I'm like, God, I don't want to go to church today. But you have to because you're the pastor. Oh. But what I do, I get in the Word. 
I make myself do it and I pray and I seek God. I say, God, you need to change my heart. Do something in here. I need your anointing. I need your preparation. I need to do this because you've given me something to give out. When God, when you prepare the soil of your heart to receive what God wants to give you, it'll take root in you and change your whole life. And I don't know if it's fear of what God wants to give you or what God has for you that stops us or whether or not it's just can't be bothered or whether or not it's priorities or whether it's just life's too busy. I don't know. But I can tell you that when he was on that cross or even before he was getting to that cross, when he was carrying the cross through the middle of the city and everybody was making fun of him. And he had 12 legions. That's not 12 individual angels. That's like 12,000 angels sitting at the ready that could change and take him from his very position. Because he was the Son of God. And I imagine, this is my imagining, this is it's probably in the book of 5th Peter, the chapter, second chapter, that when Jesus was carrying that cross and walking through the city, or when he was being beaten by the, uh, the nine lashes, or when they were making fun of him, sticking the crown of thorns, he was picturing me. Or maybe he was picturing you. Or maybe he was picturing the other 8 billion people on this planet, or the... The other, I don't know how many people have come before him and gone, no, they're worth it. They're worth it. And all the time during that process, there was preparation that happened beforehand because how many times do you read that Jesus went away and prayed? I mean, when the disciples were sent in the boat, do you know where Jesus was found? On top of the mountain, praying. He was praying for them. Praying to get through the process. Praying that the seed would take root. Praying that they would understand the whole thing that's going on. Praying that it would not be wasted. He was praying. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he said, if this cup can pass, if there's another way, God, let me put it this way, if there's another way, let it be done. Otherwise, your will be done. We don't understand the gravity of what Jesus went through. Because it happened 2,000 years ago in a culture that is not ours. And we do not see that every day. We do not see people getting crucified here, there, and there. And if you want, we could probably do one. Brad, are you willing to? No? Okay. Maybe that'll give us some context of understanding what went through. It was horrendous. But he did it for you. He did it for you. You know, we're coming up to Christmas. And as I was reading, because I like to read... Actually, the truth is, I don't like to read. I know I need to read. I hated reading in school. And it was only when I came up and became older that I realized I needed to read. Actually, you know what? I won't leave that for another message. That's another thing. We need to make God first in our lives. And we need to put him first because putting him first is the preparation for what God has for us. What God wants to do in our lives. It's the preparation that positions us to receive that all he has for us. And what he has for you is more than what you have. More than what we have. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you Lord and Savior, you're far from him, you've wandered. The first thing to do is to make him be first put him first to receive his actions for our actions to make him first make what he did as important to us as it should be 
And I want to invite you to make Jesus first. And I'll be down the front to meet and greet and talk to anyone who wants to do that. But we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to close the meeting. Time is gone. There's tea and coffee, there's morning tea. And one of the things that I suggest is you meet and greet people. You connect and you build relationships because the relationship that you build with people is preparation for time that will happen down the future. You don't know when you'll need somebody. But the time you invest in now when you don't need them will be better spent when you do need them. Preparation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is living and sharper than two-edged sword. Father, I thank you that everything that you have done for us is purposeful. The examples of so many that have gone before us, there are lessons that we can learn, that we can draw from it. Father, I ask that you would encourage your people to spend time with you every single day. I know it's not easy. Guide us and direct us in all that we do, Father. Bless us as we travel. Keep us safe. Keep us healthy. Heal us when we're sick. Break through when we have need of it. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.